Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, how can I ever pass up an opportunity to comment on one of the most magnificent passages in the New Testament? Though our first reading and gospel for today are, are wonderful indeed, I just want to spend this entire homily speaking of the passage from Paul to the Philippians, which is our second reading. Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians sometime, oh, in the early 50s of the first century. So maybe, what, 20 years or so after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So it's a very early text. Mind you, the Pauline letters are earlier than all the Gospels, so they're the, earlier, the earliest text we have. Furthermore, the scholars think the section of the letter that we're looking at today was Paul's adaptation of a hymn or a liturgical prayer that he had inherited, so one that he heard within Christian circles. Therefore, these words more or less go back perhaps to the 40s, even 30s of the first century. See, we're, we're, we're in very sacred ground here because with this text, we're at one of the earliest expressions of the Christian thing. And this famous hymn from the second chapter of Philippians, I think constitutes one of the most illuminating summaries of the Christian gospel that we have. It's one of those moments when you say, you know, if, if all of Christian literature were destroyed, but we kept this one passage, in some ways we'd, we'd still have the whole thing. So, as I say, I can't pass up the opportunity to comment on this really magnificent text. So let's start at the very beginning of it. Paul says in regard to Jesus, listen now, though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. Again, one of the earliest things Christians said about Jesus was this, though he was in the form of God, he did not deem equality with God something to be grasped. You know, up and down the centuries, and, and very much to the present day, there are scholars and skeptics who maintain that the divinity of Jesus is a myth, it's a later invention of the church, etc., etc. Jesus, they claim, was just an ordinary man, a great prophet and teacher, perhaps, but nothing more. Well, in this exceptionally early text, we find a clear affirmation of the contrary. Jesus is spoken of as being in the morphe tuteu in Paul's Greek, the form of God. Now, say what you want about Ezekiel or Jeremiah or Isaiah or Abraham or David or Moses— Nobody in the Jewish tradition would have referred to them as being in the morphe tuteu, in the form of God, spokesperson of God, friend of God, representative of God, sure. But this 
staggering claim being made about Jesus from the earliest moments of the Christian tradition, that this first century Jew is also in the form of God. Don't believe scholars when they tell you this is a, a later invention, an imposition of later scholarship. Nonsense. Well, what do we hear about the one who's in the morphe tuteu, the form of God? He did not deem equality with God a thing to be grasped. You know, everybody, I think there is the whole of spirituality and moral theology in that little line. Because the fundamental problem with us, listen now, prior to any particular sin or sins, is precisely our tendency to grasp at divinity, right? To make ourselves into God. That's Adam's sin, it's yours and it's mine, in the most fundamental sense. So we all have sins on the surface of life, but press it all the way down. What you find is the arrogation to oneself of the prerogatives of divinity. I decide right and wrong. I'm the center of the universe. All life revolves around me. See, deep down, all of us sinners think that we're God. And so here, it, to me, it's an irony which is beyond delicious. That the one alone who could grasp at divinity, the one who's in the morphe tutayu, right? The one in the form of God, he doesn't. He's the one, one person that could legitimately say, yes, I'm the center of the universe. He doesn't. God doesn't grasp at godliness, but rather lets it go. Now, spend the rest of your life, you will not fully unpack the meaning of that, because that's the whole of Christianity. God himself doesn't grasp at godliness. So how come we're doing it? See, that's the whole problem. Rather, Paul says, he, Christ, emptied himself and took the form of a slave. I mean, how, how we'd love to be God, which for our sinful minds means power and lordliness, wealth and fame, etc. But then we realize that the true God actually prefers service. Even slavery, and mind you, at a time when people knew what slavery was, slavery was not an abstraction for them as it is for us. We, we think of it, oh, that happened a long time ago. No, they knew what it meant to be a slave, to belong to somebody else. Here's the great irony. God, God accepts slavery. He took the form of a slave, the morphe to, uh, to dulu. He took the form of a slave. The Greek term being used here, by the way, for emptying is kenosis, kenosis. It's become almost a technical term among the theologians, a kenotic theology we speak of, for example. For us sinners, the game is always filling up, right? I got this empty, you know, cage that I got to fill up with the goods of the world. That's why I'm not happy. I know, I know, I'm missing all these things that other people seem to have, right? We love that game. Oh gosh, you know, look at them, look at the wealth they got, look at the power, look at the fame they got. They got their cages filled up with all kinds of stuff and look at me, here I'm emptying. 
But the weird truth at the very heart of our faith is that God is not about filling up, but emptying out. Kenosis. Remember, I've talked a lot about the law of the gift, what John Paul II articulated, namely that your being increases in the measure that you give it away. Well, see, the ground for that is in God's own act of kenosis, of emptying out. You see what I mean now when I say all of spirituality is in this little hymn. The one who's in the form of God, he's the one who doesn't cling at godliness. God doesn't cling to his prerogatives, but rather lets them go. So how much more should we be letting go? Paul goes on. Coming in human likeness and found human in appearance. Now, these lines might just kind of slip past our minds. Man, they're very important at this time. See, if today the more common misconception is that Jesus is not truly divine. So I think that's a much more common problem today. People say, you know, sure, teacher and guru and so on. But see, at other points in the church's life, the opposite problem was paramount, namely that Jesus was not truly human. Now go back to the ancient church in a period not long after Paul himself, the Docetist heresy was afoot. Uh, Docane in Greek means to appear, right? So the Docetist heresy was that he, he wasn't really human. He just appeared human. He looked human. So he's God, but kind of wearing a human suit. Or he's, he's God, you know, looking human, but not really being human. The Docetists felt that it was somehow denigrating to God, you know, to say that he actually became a, a grubby human being. Oh, but from Paul on, see, Paul here is saying he comes in human likeness. He's, he enters into our humanity. From Paul on, the church has resisted Docetism. There's a very ancient principle in the church fathers. They all repeat it. Namely, what has not been assumed has not been saved. It's a really cool principle in Christology. What has not been assumed has not been saved. See, God assumed, took upon himself the fullness of humanity. Body, soul, emotion, sexuality, mind, heart, everything. And he thereby saved all of our humanity. He divinized, he raised up all of our humanity. Don't play the game of, you know, oh no, my, my body and sexuality, that has nothing to do with my spiritual life. No, no, that's a weird Gnosticism. What has not been assumed has not been saved. He assumed everything. He became truly human and thereby saved it. Paul goes on, listen. Becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What did Jesus assume of our humanity? Everything except sin. And that means he took on our greatest fear. He took on what hovers over the whole of human life like a dark cloud. I'm talking about death itself. He went on his canotic journey, his emptying journey, all the way down. Now, why? Why? That he might bring all the way up everyone he's reached out to. 
And that's Christianity, everybody. That's Christianity. God so loved the world, he sent his only son, where? All the way down. See? So that no one is in principle outside of his reach. And then even, Paul says, and you can almost hear him lowering his voice as he says it, even death on a cross. There was no death in the ancient Roman world more despicable, more humiliating, more degradating than death on a cross. That's why that awful form of execution was reserved for the lowest classes and the greatest enemies of the state. It was meant to be not only a prolonged torture, but a public humiliation. Paul says elsewhere that Jesus became sin on the cross. You see what he means? Not that he's a sinner. Jesus is not a sinner. If he were, he'd need to be saved too. But he became sin on the cross, meaning he took upon himself all the different grades of human depravity, injustice, cruelty, hatred, all of it. Like the scapegoat in the Jerusalem temple on the Day of Atonement, he took all of this on himself. He allowed the world to spend its wickedness on him, and he swallowed all of it up in the divine mercy. And then Paul concludes, because of this, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every other name. He went all the way down. He didn't grasp divinity, but emptied himself, became human, accepting death, yes, even death on the cross, going all the way down so as to grasp in principle everybody. And then in the Holy Spirit, he brought them back. God highly exalted him. And you see everybody in the process highly exalted all of us whom he had grasped in his love. So sometime this week, take out your Bibles. Philippians chapter 2. Find this great hymn, one of the most ancient texts we have, and revel in this magnificent description of Christianity. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.